Well, good morning, church. Good morning. What a great day. What a great morning of worship. Uh, last week was so incredible, just Easter Sunday morning and the celebration that Jesus is alive. He's alive. And I pray that we'll be Easter people, not just on Easter Sunday, but every day of our lives, knowing that the power to overcome is within us. And it's the grace of God that calls us to move forward. And so last Sunday was kind of like the Super Bowl, this Sunday the Pro Bowl, but we're excited about today as we talk about Happily Ever After. And we look at this brand new series. We're starting a new series today. We're talking about dating and marriage and children and generations and what God's Word says about that. And as I, as I look, you know, and just see, man, there's so many different questions about dating and marriage and how it all works. And, and I think our, our minds get skewed because of what we see in movies. I live with three little girls, right? So we have surrounded by Disney movies all the time. And, you know, Let It Go is like constantly playing in our house all the time and frozen and it's crazy. But if you notice all of these, right, there's the princess, she meets the prince and they fall in love instantly and there's no worries, there's no heartaches, it's everything's fine, it's not bumpy at all. And then they come and they get married and it's wonderful and they have a great honeymoon and, you know, they live happily ever after. But all of us know that's not how it works in real life, is it? You know? There's a little bit difference in real life in the dating and the marriage and children a few years ago, we took our girls and we went to Disney World. And at Disney World, we went and we went to one of those character meals. I don't know if you've ever done this, but they like have the characters come around to the different tables. And so the best part for me was it was a buffet. So that was, I was all over that. It was great. So I was happy. And then here comes Cinderella to our table, you know, and here comes the stepsisters. I don't even know who all came by. And the girls are so excited and they're waving. And then they had this moment where the music played and Cinderella and Prince Charming went to the center of the room and they started dancing. And so everybody else is watching Cinderella and Prince Charming dance. And then they took this break and Prince Charming came over to our table and he reached his hand out to Grace, my six-year-old daughter, and said, do you want to dance? So the music's still playing, and so he takes, Prince Charming takes my daughter Grace, and they start to dance in the center of the room, and everybody's looking around, and everybody's like smiling, laughing, and opposite there is a dad going, hold on a minute, buddy. I don't know who you think you are, the little tights, but you know what? That's my daughter right there, and I'm not happy about this at all. And so I'm watching this, and I'm sitting back, and in my mind, I started to fast forward. And I thought, Oh no, in just a few years, some hairy looking boy's gonna come to my house and ring the doorbell and wanna take out my daughter and I am not gonna be happy about this at all. I mean, but you know, I just think about that and I think about life and how that goes and it works like that. And there's girl and boy and they meet and they have this relationship, scary. You know? But at the same time, it's good. And at the same time, you think, okay, well, it's the way God created. God created love and God created relationships and God wants us to succeed in these. But yet, so many times we look back on our own journey and we think, that wasn't happily ever after, you know? I don't, I don't know what happened there, but man, that didn't work like I thought it was going to work. And yet, what we see is a God of grace. And what we see is a God of mercy. And what we see is a God who says, I want you to succeed in this area. Isn't that great? There's a God who says, I want you to succeed in dating. I want you to succeed in your marriage. I want you to raise up great kids. And you trust me. And you hold on to me. Because there really can't be happily ever after. If you have a Bible with you this morning, I invite you up with me to the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 2. Genesis 
chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, that's okay. We're going to put the words on the screen, or maybe you have a mobile device, and you can follow along with us as we unpack the Word of God today. I'm excited about this series. I really just, man, I just believe God's going to do something in this series in all of our lives. And, and I love you guys. I do, man. I just pray over all of us here. I pray for single adults. I pray for those who are married. I pray for kids. I just I long for us to do well in this area. And so I pray that God will speak through us um, as we begin this series this morning. So pick up here Genesis chapter 2. Look at verse 15. It says, The Lord God took the man and he put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. So this is at the very beginning. God has been creating heavens and the earth, you know, and the sky and the animals, and then God creates man. And why did God create man? Why did God create you? God created you, God created man for a relationship with him. That's his desire, that you and I would have a relationship here with him. So God creates man, and God puts man in the garden. This beautiful, amazing garden. And it's wonderful, and he says, you work it, you take care of it, and you can eat from all these trees, but just don't eat from this one tree. Right? Just don't sin. (laughs) Now, I love that man had work to do before the fall. Have you noticed that? A lot of times we think it was after the fall that man has to work. No, 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 it was before that we have jobs to do. And that's encouraging to me because that means one day when we get to heaven, we're going to have things to do. I'm a doer. I don't like to just sit around, you know. And the thought of heaven just sitting up there in in a diaper and playing a harp, that's not encouraging to me at all. So, but being active and being involved is exciting to me. And and we have the eternity to explore and eternity to be with God. So God creates man. He puts him in the garden. And then he says this. The Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. It's not good for man to be alone. Now all the time up until this point, God has said it is good, right? Creates the heavens and the earth, creates light, creates sky. He says, it is good. It is good. He creates vegetation, creates animals. He says, it's very good. This is the first time he says it's not good. It's not good. Why? It's not good for man to be alone. See, God created you and God created me for community. Why? Because our God is communal. Our God is communal. Our God is in relationship. In fact, it says, let us make man in our own image. You have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And sometimes this is confusing, right? You're like, do I pray to God? Do I pray to Jesus? Do I pray to the Holy Spirit? Yes. (laughs) Yes, because they're three in one. The Trinity. The whole concept of the Trinity, to me, it's like, you know, you have water, you have ice, you have steam, it's the same essence. It's a different manifestation. But there's three in one. You have God the Father who sent his only son, who paid the price, who died on the cross for your sins and for my sins. And then Jesus ascends into heaven. And what is Jesus doing now? He sits at the right hand of the throne of God. And he is interceding on your behalf. He's like, God, check them out. Oh, they're trying. They're studying. They're growing. God, way to go, you know. And then God sends his Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit indwells every believer. And so you have the Holy Spirit within you. And the Holy Spirit is your guide, your comforter, who leads you. God is communal. And so God looks at man and he says, it's not good for man to be alone. Here's man all by himself. And so God says, I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the word helper in Hebrew is ezer, E-Z-E-R. And this is not a demeaning term at all. Not in any stretch or, or imagination. Because ezer is also used five different times in the Old Testament for God himself. 
Exodus 18, Deuteronomy, 1 Samuel, Psalm 20, Psalm 46. It says God is our easer. God is our helper. So God creates somebody to come along, sideman, to be a helper, to have community, to have relationships, to have somebody with him so that we're not alone. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the beasts of the field and all the birds of the air. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the air, and the beasts of the field. That would have been cool, right? I mean, all these animals coming by, you're the Adam, and you're just like, that's a rhino. I'm going to name him Rhino. He's big, he's fat, he's muddy. Rhino. I mean, how cool would that have been? That would have been awesome. But I want you to see this, is that God created all these things. He formed all these things out of the ground. Out of the ground. He took the mud and the dust, and then even with man, what did he do? He breathed life. He breathed life. But it says, but for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. Now notice, first of all, that man had nothing to do with the creation of woman. That that was totally God. It's completely God. Man was asleep. And yet God comes and he doesn't take out of the ground this time. What does he do? He takes a rib. Now I love that he didn't take a bone out of the foot for the man to rule over the woman. He didn't take a bone out of the head for the woman to rule over the man. He took a a rib, side, partner, helpmate, in this together, relationship. It's a beautiful picture of what God is doing here. And you can imagine the man wakes up, he's sound asleep, and he wakes up and he looks up and he's like, whoa, what just happened here? And the man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. So woman wasn't an afterthought, you know? I mean, God knew exactly what he was doing. God wanted procreation to happen. So God said, hey, I'm going to have man here, but then I will create woman. And at some point, a man will leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. If you're married and you're here today, listen, your first relationship is with God. God needs to be number one in your life, not another person. But number two should be your spouse. There comes a point that you leave your parents or your in-laws, you know? And it's great to respect your parents and take care of your parents and take care of your in-laws and man, praise God for bigger community because that's what we're in. But you always stick up for your spouse. You always stick up for them. Now look at verse 25 because I think this is so important. It says, the man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. You know what that means? There was intimacy Uh, There was physical, spiritual, emotional intimacy. See, our world tries to sell us a cheap imitation. Our world tries to sell us sex, but sex is just a cheap imitation. And sex in the confines of marriage is great, but, but what we all long for, what we all, every man and every woman in here, we long for intimacy. We long to be fully known, and we long to be fully accepted. We do. I watch, I watch, I watch so many people. 
and to watch you. Man, when you are around your friends or you're around people that you're close to or you're around people you're comfortable with and you're in that kind of community, you light up. You come alive. Why? Because it's the way we were created. And God wants us to experience that. God wants us to live life to the full, to enjoy it. God wants us to succeed in this area. Now I want to talk to two different groups just for a moment this morning. First of all, if you're a single adult here, we have so many single adults, or you're a student here, so glad you're here, so pumped and excited. But I want to talk just for a moment, and then I want to talk if you're a parent here. Because how do we find that Adam and Eve in our life, Right? How do we discover this whole thing of dating or maybe, you know, you've been married and you want to be married again and now you're back in the dating scene and it's just hard and it's difficult. How, how do we do this? How do we navigate these waters? How do we find that right person for us? Well, four things I think that are so important. First of all, if you're a single adult or you want to be married, you want to find a person or those things. Number one is this, to be prayerful. To be prayerful. You know, a lot of times we skip this step, Right? You know, the world would say, well, hey, they're hot or they're good looking or, you know, whatever. And that becomes our measure. That's the way we see people. And yet, when we look at this passage, it was God who created the person. It was God who took care of it. And you and I come to a point in our lives where we realize, man, my relationship with the Lord, if I'm growing deeper in Him, He'll take care of the desires of my heart. He'll provide for me. Be prayerful. Sometimes we don't even pray about our relationships with our friends or with the person we may date one day. But that's where it starts. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2 says this, Therefore I urge you, dear brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, for this is your spiritual act of worship. Verse 2, it says, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. Right? As a believer, we don't just go along with what the world says. We don't date the way the world says. We don't look at people the way the world says. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. Notice this. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. And in your life, don't settle just for God's good will. Or even His pleasing will. Hold out for God's perfect will. Is God is so gracious, and God wants you to succeed. Trust Him. Be prayerful. Renew your mind and live your life for Him. Second thing is this. Be patient. Be patient. You see, it was God's will in God's timing, right? Adam was created. Adam was alone at first for a little while before God brought this woman into the picture. Be patient. So many times our prayers are, God, I want this and I want it now. You know, I just, I gotta have it now. And God's going, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm preparing you for what I'm preparing for you. Trust me. Hold on to me. Wait, 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 wait. In all of our lives, we move from dependence to independence to interdependence. There's this cycle in our lives. And sometimes, you know, we try to short-circuit that. We try to just go, you know, straight from dependence to interdependence. But maybe you met your wife in kindergarten. I don't know. I doubt it, you know. But maybe you met your wife in middle school or maybe you met your husband in college or something. But there's such a societal pressure to be engaged or married before you're done with college. And I'm just like, wait, wait, wait. Sometimes you don't even know who you are yet. And if you met that person, great. You know, wonderful. Praise God. But if you didn't, don't feel the pressure of the world. Just say, hey, hold on, I'm, I'm following Jesus. I was 33 when I got married. 33. 
right? And, and, and so I remember when I was 29, and here I was, I was in ministry, I was a single adult, I dated, you know, in college, but then after college, I felt called into ministry, and, and I was just like, let's do ministry, you know, I was just focused on doing ministry, and in my mind, I kind of thought, hey, I'm going to be like the Apostle Paul, you know, and uh, I'm going to do ministry, and I'll never forget when I was, um, when I was at a camp, and I was there, part of the leadership, and, and all this, and one of the guys said to me, here I am, 29 years old, single, and he said, Jeff, what if you never get married? And I'd never thought about it, you know? I just, I guess I just always thought, well, I'll just put it off, put it off, put it off. And, and I stopped for a moment. And I remember going down, we were at the beach, and I went down to the beach, and I was praying about it. And then I said in my mind, okay. God, if I never get married, I'm okay. God, because you are enough for me. You are enough for me. And I had to come to that point in my life, I believe, to say, God, you are enough so that my relationship with the Lord would be, would be the most important, even when I got married. And, and for all of us, I think we have to come to a point in our lives to say, God, are you enough for me? God, are you enough? I mean, single or married, children or no children, financially blessed or not, God, are you enough? Are you enough? Are you enough? The third thing I want you to see is this, is to be purposeful. To be purposeful. In the, in the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 7, uh, Solomon, who's the wisest man who ever lived, that would be pretty awesome, it? wisest man who ever lived, and Solomon was the king of Jerusalem. And Solomon, one day he walks out of his, of his palace, you know, and he goes onto the balcony, and he says this, At the window of my house I looked through the lattice. I saw among the simple... I noticed among the young men a youth who lacked judgment. So you can picture the scene. Here's the king, and he's standing up on the balcony. He's looking down on all the people, and he sees this one guy, you know, and he watches this guy. He says he lacked judgment. He was going down the street near her corner. Who's her corner? We'll find out. Walking along in the direction of her house at twilight as the day was fading, as the dark of night set in. Then out came a woman to meet him, dressed like a prostitute, and with crafty intent. She is loud and defiant. Her feet never stay at home. Now in the street, now in the squares, in every corner she lurks. She took hold of him and kissed him, and with brazen face she said, I have fellowship offerings at home. Today I fulfilled my vows, so I came out to meet you. I looked for you and I found you. I've covered my bed with colored linens from Egypt. I have perfumed my bed with mire and alloys and cinnamon. Come, let's drink deep of love till morning. Let's enjoy ourselves with love. My husband is not home. Hmm. He has gone on a long journey. He took his purse filled with money. It will not be home till full moon. With persuasive words, she led him astray. She seduced him with her smooth talk. All at once, he followed her. Now, here's Solomon watching this unfold, right? And here's this guy, this simple guy walking down the road thinking, wow, I just scored. This woman thinks I'm attractive. She thinks I'm hot. She's taking me back to her house. And here's Solomon's perspective. Solomon's watching this going, whoa. All at once, he followed her like an ox going to the slaughter. What? Oh, yeah. Like a deer stepping into a noose till an arrow pierces his liver, like a bird darting into a snare, little knowing it will cost him his life. 
Now then, my sons, listen to me. Pay attention to what I say. Do not let your heart turn to her ways or stray into her paths. Many are the victims she has brought down. Her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is a highway to the grave, leading down to the chambers of death. Wow. It's a different perspective than our world, isn't it? But what's he saying? He's saying, here's a guy who is looking for love in the wrong place. And whether you're a single adult, whether you're a married adult, temptation is out there. And you and I have to be purposeful not to put ourselves in compromising positions. Not to put ourselves in places where, man, this is a total fail. I mean, all you have to do is, is read the newspaper, right? All you have to do is go online and look at politician after politician. Or teacher or minister, or others who have gone down this path. You see, the Bible says in the New Testament, flee sexual immorality. But instead of fleeing, what do we do? We flirt. Right? If this is the line, we think, man, they like me. They're checking me out. You know, wow, it's a little ego stroke here. You know? And so we kind of get a little closer to the line, a little closer to the line, a little closer. And the Apostle Paul and Solomon and everybody's going, flee, run away, run away. And we're like, yeah, but she like, you know, and you kind of slide over here. Be purposeful. Be around people who are going to draw you closer to God. Be involved in church. Be around people who are striving to know the Lord and deepen their relationship with Him. Find good people around you. And this week I heard the guy from eHarmony speak. And, and uh, man, I was impressed this guy. He started eHarmony at the age of 65. You know what? He was the dean of the school at Fuller Seminary, and he had done all kinds of marriage counseling. And he said, you know what I realized is that people, they're making, you know, not good decisions here, and so what if they make good decisions on the front end? He gave the statistic that 60, wait, 600,000 marriages have happened on eHarmony and only a 3.8% divorce rate. I thought, that's pretty impressive. He said, you need to find people who are seeking the Lord. You need to find people who are on the same path and on the same track. Be purposeful. Be purposeful. When you go out at night, when you go to places on the internet, when you go to these things, are you purposeful? Be purposeful. The fourth thing is this, is to be pure. Is to be pure. You see, healthy relationships, they start in your head. They start in your mind. They really do. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. It says, finally, brothers, right? Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, and whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And we live in a world, man, that's consumed with like pornography. And you know what pornography does? It just erodes your capacity for intimacy. And whether you're a single adult, whether you're married or whatever, listen, it just erodes your capacity for intimacy. It's a battle worth fighting. It starts here. If you're going to have strong relationships, if you're going to have healthy relationships, it starts where your mind is and your thoughts. If you're a single adult today, you know what? God may have called you to be single. It's okay. The Apostle Paul, he said, man, I wish you would be single because you could do more ministry. And for those of us who are married and have kids, we understand that, you know? And Jesus was single. There may be a calling in your life and if it is, is God enough? Is God enough? But there may be a time of waiting for that right person. And if that's true, then are you doing these things and waiting? It's about purpose. It's about mission. Now let me speak to those of us who are parents or aunts or uncles or grandparents because there's a lot of us in here who are. I mean, this whole 
out there, preschool children, students, it's packed out. Okay, so I know a lot of us are parents here. They didn't drive themselves to get here. So, so that's important. If you're a parent, I want to tell you this. I just want to be straight up with you right now. Our kids are growing up in a different culture. They're growing up in a different dating culture today. I heard a woman named Donna Friedis, and she was a college professor. And, and she's written a book called The End of Sex, and she talks about the hookup culture. And, and she said, you know, that's, that's what dating has become today is hookups. And a hookup can be anywhere from kissing, just kissing, uh, you know, to sex. But she said, I've gone around all these college campuses, and I've interviewed all these people, and here's the thing about a hookup. Number one, it's brief. Number two, no communication. Number three, no emotion. And number four, most of the time it involves alcohol. Usually the person's drunk and they're like, okay, you'll do, that's fine. That's what she said to hook up. But you know what she discovered? Out of interviewing all these people, 43%, 43% of people who've gone through hookups have said, I was unhappy. 20, 22% of people said, whatever. She said, I couldn't get another answer out. And they just said, whatever. It was whatever. You know, we were at a party. It was, a, it was whatever. And 35% said it was indifferent. It was, it was indifferent, you know? She said, I never heard once somebody say, wow, it was just like the movies. That was awesome. Or wow, we sat and talked because there's no communication. She said, I've interviewed men and women, and everybody longs for intimacy. Everybody longs for romance. Everybody longs to have relationships, and it's not happening. So how do you and I, if we're parents, or we're aunts, we're uncles, we're grandparents, how do we help raise up a generation in the midst of this? What do we do? Four things. Number one, be prayerful. If you're a parent here, you ought to be taking notes. Right, just <laughs> be prayerful. Be prayerful. Every night, every night, I go in and pray over my little girls. I've got three little girls, right? And they're 10 and 7 and 5. And if I'm late getting in there, my five-year-old Kate's like, Daddy, come pray. Daddy, come pray. And I go in there and I put my hand on their head. And I pray, God, I pray for Katie, Kate, or maybe your grace. I pray that they would be wise I pray that they be strong. I pray that they would make good decisions. Father, I pray that they will know Jesus and they will love Jesus. And five, God, I pray that they will always know, God, that you love them and their daddy loves them. I pray that every single night. I pray over them. And our job as parents or aunts or uncles or grandparents, listen, is to be praying for our kids. That God would give them wisdom. You know what, I do, I do a lot of weddings. I do a ton of weddings. I do a lot of weddings for, for people who've met here at church. It's so exciting. And, and I love as parents come up to me and they'll say, you know what, I've been praying for my, my child's spouse since the day they were born. And I've been doing that. I'm praying for who my girls will marry. If God calls them to get married, I'm praying for them. And they may be over here. I don't know, they may be one of your children. I'm praying for them and the decisions that they will make. Because it's huge. It impacts my life. It impacts all of us. Being prayerful, right? Second thing is be patient. Be patient. If you have a child, you have a student, you have a college student, be patient. That, that ride from dependence to independence is bumpy. I was a student pastor for 12 years. I watched it happen. I mean, from the age 12 to 17, it is bumpy. They're teenagers. It's a whole different world, right? I mean, and so they're trying to figure it out. And you know how I know that? It's because we all went through that. You know, we all went through thinking our parents didn't know anything. We all went through rolling our eyes at our parents. You know, like, come on, you know. That's going to happen. But be patient with them. Walk with them. Talk with them. Encourage them. 
Statistics show that a parent is still the number one influence in a kid's life all the way to 22. That's incredible because so many times we think, well, it's their friends or no, it's you. It's you and that leads to number three, be purposeful. If you're a parent or you're an aunt or an uncle or a grandparent, be purposeful. You know what? Sometimes those conversations are awkward. I get it. You know, talking to your kids about the birds and the bees or talking, you know, it's like, oh, I don't even know what to say. That's so awkward. I don't know. But you know who is talking to them? Their friends. Every movie they watch, right? Every website they go to, they're talking to them about it. it. Do not, do not, do not abdicate your role and your responsibility as a parent. You know what? Your child, they don't need any more friends. They'll have lots of friends throughout life. You know what they need? They need a parent. They need somebody who's going to be honest with them. They need somebody who's going to step in with them. And, and that may be an aunt or an uncle. That may be a grandparent. That may be somebody who they could just sit down with and say, hey, I'm struggling. And you could say, you know what? I didn't do it very well. I made some mistakes. But by God's grace, I'm here. And let me just tell you, let me encourage you, please be purposeful. My daughter Grace, our oldest one, turned 10 uh, last weekend. And so Lisa, my wife, and Grace, they went on a mother-daughter trip just this weekend and then went away. And so all this week, we've been working on notes. What do we want to say to Grace? We've been working on scriptures. But they're having this talk about, you know, now you're becoming a young woman and your body's going to change and relationships and what that looks like. And, and so we've been crafting scriptures. We've been writing notes. And it, it, they're having an incredible time of just talking through this. And we've made mistakes in our lives, but you know what? We want to pour into our girls. We want to pour into our kids. And God's called you to do that. And there's a lot of people in this world who can do your job. There's a lot of people in this world who can be the pastor at Rolling Hills. But there's nobody else who can be the dad to my daughters. I get one chance. One opportunity, you know. And I want to pour into them. I want to make a difference in their life. For the glory of God. And the last one is this, it's to be pure. Model for them what it looks like. You know, model for them what a healthy marriage looks like. Model for them what healthy relationships look like if you're a single adult. Model for kids, model for the next generation. Model for them in your life what it should look like. Because they're out there looking for models. And they're trying to find that. Here's the thing about being a parent. I want my girls, I want my girls to know beyond anything else that I love them. I don't want my girls to grow up one day and have to go try to find love in a man because they never got it at home. I want them to know whenever they go off to college or whatever they grow up, I want them to know that there's a God who loves them and there's a dad who always loved them. And I know they're going to make mistakes. I know they're going to mess up. I know they're going to date some hairy-legged boy that I would not approve of. I understand that. I know that is going to happen. But I want them to know and to have confidence in who they are. I want them to have a pure love for God and a pure love as a basis for their confidence in life. You, you guys, we get this chance. We get this opportunity. Let's do it right. Because God wants you to be happily ever after. God wants you to experience intimacy. God wants you to have community. God wants you to thrive in life. But you know where it begins? Just like it began at the beginning. It begins here. It begins with your relationship with God. And wherever you are, in your dating life, as a single adult, or married life, or as a parent, you know what? It comes back here. And as you are growing in your relationship with God, as you are growing deeper 
in your relationship with the Lord God who loves you more than you even love yourself, then you're able to live out your calling. You're able to live out your mission. You're able to serve. You're able to speak truth in when times are hard or difficult. You're able to offer grace and you're able to offer mercy because it flows from God through you. So where are you here? I want to challenge you. Over the next 30 days, we're in this series. Over the next 30 days, would you just be prayerful about this whole thing of relationships, you know? And maybe you're a single adult, maybe just be praying for, hey, God, have you called me to be single? Or God, have you called me? To, you know, is there somebody out there for me? God, I'm just going to be praying about it. If you're married, maybe things are challenging or difficult, would you be praying for your marriage? Would you be praying? If you're a parent, would you pray? Would you pray for your children? In this area, if you're a grandparent or an aunt or an uncle, will you pray for the people around you that we can succeed? That we can do relationships the way God wants us to do them. I want to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes just for a moment. And here's how I want us to pray. If you would just open your hands to God. Put them on your knees or just in front of you, but palms up. And just open your hands. And say, God, I want you to be enough. I want you to be enough for me in my life. Maybe today is a day where you just experience God's grace and his mercy. Maybe you've made some mistakes in this area and God's just saying, I love you. Put a stake in the ground and go forward. But trust me in this. Or maybe today is a day when you just say, you know what, I'm going to fight for my marriage. Or I'm going to be pure. I'm going to hold on to Jesus with everything I have. Or maybe you're praying for your kids or your grandkids. Father God, we lift up our prayers to you. God, we thank you that you are sovereign over all creation. We thank you, God, that you created us for community, for intimacy. Forgive us, God, when we make it about the things of this world. And today, I just pray, Father, we would put a stake in the ground, that we would be men and women after your heart, that you would be enough for us. That our lives would be consumed with you and living life the way you want us to. So thank you, Jesus, that you never give up on us. <laughs> thank you for your grace and your mercy and your love and your redemption. And thank you, God, that this is an area where we can go forward in Christ. We love you and we dedicate our lives to you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen.